Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please open your Bibles to Joel chapter 3. And today we're, uh, today's our last day, our last Sunday, looking at the book of Joel, at least for a while. Um, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through the end of the book, which is verse 21. And we're going to talk about a topic that I have to confess, I don't feel as um, prepared or knowledgeable to, to um, yeah, to preach on it. I mean, I guess I, you know, I did study for it, but uh, I feel like the, the topic of eternity, the topic of the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem and, and all that that entails is a topic that is really complicated. And I recognize that I need to study it more. And I would encourage all of you to study it more as well because it is important. It's extremely important in that that's our eternal destiny, right? So some of you may say, oh, well, I guess I'll have eternity to, to understand all of that. Well, yeah, you'll have eternity. But it would be nice if we could understand it now a little bit better, especially because what we think about eternity affects the way that we live now. So you have probably heard or Actually, let me put it this way. Growing up, one of the main questions that I had as a kid was something related to what are, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? That was kind of like the, the question, right? What, what am I going to do when we get to heaven? What's going to happen when we are in heaven? And I, you know, I remember continuing to use that word heaven to refer to eternity right, to the eternal uh, stage when, when we are in God's presence and, and um, we are in this new Jerusalem. But I, was, I actually started thinking recently, and, and let me quote, actually, let me butcher a quote by um, a quote that shows up in a movie that apparently if you grew up in a Christian family, you you must watch this movie, which I haven't watched and I have no intentions of watching, but the movie is Princess Bride. Uh, so that's what I'm saying. Like if, you're in a, if you grew up in, <laughs> in somewhat in a Christian family, and it's, it's a must watch. Uh, but in one of the characters, one of the characters says, and this is the quote that I'm going to butcher, says, you keep using that word, I don't think that word means what you think it means, right? Or something along those lines. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. So I would say that's, that's heaven for us. We keep using the word heaven, but I don't think we really realize what that word means. Or I, I should say we're referring to something completely different. And let me explain what I mean. 
when we say, oh, yes, we're going to go to heaven and we're going to be in heaven. Well, heaven is where God is right now. That's where the Bible describes that God is. That's where the Bible describes that Jesus is. He is seated at the right hand of God. That's where believers go when they die. They go to heaven. However, heaven is not the final destination. Heaven is not the goal. Heaven is an intermediate state right now. But really, the, the end, the very end, the thing that oftentimes we are talking about when we say, what are we going to do when we're in heaven? Really, what we mean is, what are we going to do when we are in the new heavens and the new earth? And that is, we are referring to God's new creation. Think about it this way. In Genesis 1.1, it says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then in Revelation, at the very end of the Bible, it says that God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And so if you think about it, heaven itself is, is the place where God is, is an intermediate state, but it's not the end. Yes, we want to go to heaven when we die, if we die before Jesus returns and establishes his kingdom. But really, the one place that we want to be, ultimately, and the one place that we should be dreaming about and that we should hope for is the new heavens and the new earth. And within this new place, there is this new city, which is the new Jerusalem. And those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are God's people, those of us who are part of the Israel of God, we are going to be in inhabitants of this city, of the new Jerusalem. And so maybe instead of saying, hey, what are we going to do when, what are we going to do when we get to heaven? We should be asking, what are we going to do when we are in the new earth? What are we going to do when we are in the new Jerusalem? What are we going to do when we are in the restored world? Right? One of the misconceptions that we have is that this earth will be completely destroyed and, and obliterated, and then God is just going to create a completely brand new planet. No, no, no. God is going to, yes, there's going to be some destruction. This earth will be uh, exposed by fire, right? Peter talks about how uh, he compares it to when the earth was wiped out by water during the flood. Well, the earth was not fully destroyed. It was very changed, but it was not fully destroyed. Well, in the same way, this earth will be, um, will be, the word that it uses is, it will be exposed by fire. But out of this same earth, God will create a new heavens and a new earth. And so when we are in the final uh, uh, kingdom of God, when we are in eternity, we're not going to be up in the heaven, we're going to be here on earth. We're going to be here on the new earth. So that's what this passage is describing. This passage is describing the future. This passage is describing the future of the land of Israel. This passage is describing the future of the world. And it is describing the future of the people of God. This is us. This passage is, is speaking, obviously, about God and about Zion and the new Jerusalem. 
but it's, it's speaking of the future that awaits those who have taken refuge in the Lord. So let's pray, and then, let, and then, let's, uh, and then we're going to jump into the, the text. God, we thank you that you are so glorious and so good. And we thank you, Lord, that you have promised that you will. You are building this new city that will come down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. We thank you that we will be here on earth and you will be with us. You will dwell in the new Jerusalem. You will dwell in Zion. And we're going to be able to enjoy your beauty and we're going to be able to enjoy and worship you for your glory. And we will have life because you are the source of life. Lord, I pray that as we look at this passage, we would have an even greater excitement about the future and that this excitement and hope for the future would affect the way that we live today. Please guide us. Please uh, fill us with your spirit and help us to understand your word. Please drive the implications of this passage home into our hearts. And may we not be the same after we are encountered with your word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read um, Joel chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 16, actually, just to give us that transition. Remember that last week we talked about the day of the Lord and we talked about the punishment that those who oppose God those who persecute God's people will endure. And now we're going to finish the book by looking at what this new earth, this new creation is going to look like. So verse 16, the Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth quake. But the Lord is a refuge to his people, a stronghold to the people of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day the mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and the hills shall flow with milk. And all the steam beds of Judah shall flow with water. And a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord, and water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall become a desolation, and Edom a desolate wilderness, for the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall be inhabited forever, and Jerusalem to all generations. I will avenge their blood, blood I have not avenged, for the Lord dwells in Zion. This is the word of God. So we learned several things about this new 
city, about this new creation, about Jerusalem. One of the things we see is that he keeps mentioning the word Zion and Jerusalem and Judah. And so one of the things that we need to get out of the way, or not necessarily out of the way, but understand before we move on with this passage is that um, when it is speaking about Zion and about Jerusalem and about Judah, we need to understand that in Christ, all of these promises and all of these passages that speak about Jerusalem are passages that we actually can appropriate to us. We can, we can claim those promises. We can say we are, like the author of Hebrews says, we have been brought to this Jerusalem, to, to Zion. So I don't know about you, but when it happened to me that whenever I read Psalms and the Psalms were like, pretty, um, like they are very nationalistic psalms, you know, like the Lord reigns from Zion and David, like the psalm that we read today, right? Psalm 132, like it speaks a lot about Zion and Judah and Jerusalem. And so if you don't understand that in Christ, we are a part of God's people. If you don't understand that in Christ, we have been brought into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. In Christ, we are Israel. Then those promises mean nothing to you, right? Because it's like, oh, okay, so this is just for, for, the, you know, for the ethnic people of Israel. But when you understand that because of the work of Christ, out of the two, like it says in Ephesians 2, out of the two peoples, out of the, the, the people of Israel and of the Gentiles, he has made one new man, so then we understand that these promises are for us. And so when it speaks about Jerusalem, when it speaks about Zion, when it speaks about Judah, these are promises that we can claim. These are promises that we can appropriate and say, these are for us. And so whenever we read Zion, Jerusalem, the land of Israel, let us remember that this is for us too. These promises are for us. So the new Jerusalem is a place where God dwells. The Lord dwells in it. Verse 17, so you shall know that I am the Lord your God who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. So one of the beautiful and really the most amazing thing about the new creation, about the new heavens and the new earth, about the new Jerusalem is that God himself will dwell in this city. The presence of God will be there uninterrupted, right? Think about it. Adam and Eve were in the presence of God in the garden. God was right there with them. They had the tree of life with them. They had the water that, that God provided for them, the water of life for them. But when they sinned, God's presence was interrupted, right? Or, or to them, it's not that God... You know, God is wherever he wants to be, but God in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, decided that after they sinned, his presence would no longer be in the same way here on earth. And so throughout scripture, we get places where God's presence is, right? Like, you know, I've mentioned this a, a lot of times, but God's presence was in the mountain in Mount Zion, uh, sorry, Mount Sinai. And God's presence was in the tabernacle and God's presence was in the temple that Solomon built in Mount Zion. Um, but even we see in the book of Joel that even in Mount Zion, if the people continue to sin against God, 
he would withdraw his presence from Mount Zion and the people could get attacked and invaded like they got attacked and invaded by this uh, army of locusts. And we see it today, even though the presence of God came, right? God, God, uh, the word became flesh and he dwelled among us in Jesus. Even then his presence is not fully covering this earth in the sense that it is that this earth is perfect right no one would say that the world is is filled with the knowledge of the glory of god right there are people that know god there are people that that experience god's presence like we do the church right the church is a microcosm of of this new heavens and new earth the church is a a foretaste of the kingdom of god but at this point, the church is, is really just a, a, it's a small foretaste of God's kingdom and presence. But this world is not completely covered with the knowledge of God. But what we see in this passage is that in the future, what we see in this passage is that uh, after the day of the Lord, God himself will dwell in Zion, Jerusalem shall be holy, and strangers shall never again pass through it. And God will never depart from his holy mountain. God will never depart from this new heavens and the new earth. And so, one of the amazing things about this is that really what, what makes us look forward to the kingdom of God as, as you know, completed, what makes us look forward to being in the new Jerusalem is that God is going to be there, right? A lot of the times we think of eternity and say, oh, it's going to be so great. I'm going to see my family members that have died and I'm going to be able to, you know, as a kid, I used to think I'm going to be able to play with the animals. Like maybe I'm going to swim with a shark or, you know, things like that. And sure, you know, those are all cool things, especially seeing your family. That's a great thing. That's awesome. That's a great benefit. But the main thing about the new creation, the main thing about the new Jerusalem is that God is there. He is the one that we want to be with. He is the star of the show. He is the only one that can truly satisfy us. If the afterlife was a place where you could be with all your family members and you could swim with sharks and you could fly and do all of those things, but God is not there, it's not a fun place. Dare I say a place without God is hell? Really? But what makes the new heavens and the new earth, what makes them a place to be desired, a place that is beautiful, is that God himself dwells there. At the very end of the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel is describing the new city, he says, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. The Lord is there. So the city itself finds its identity in that God dwells in it. And so one of the results of this is that, like we see in verse 17 at the end, strangers shall never again pass through it.
this city will be holy. God's presence will make this city holy. And like we learn in 1 Peter, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so if it were not for God's grace and mercy, this city would be empty. It would just be, you know, God. And he would be perfectly fine because, you know, he is in community in himself. He is, you know, a triune God. But God in his mercy, even though he didn't need us, even though he was not a lonely God that said, oh, I just want to rescue these people so that they, you know, so that I'm not so lonely. No, God in his mercy, because he loved us so much, he redeemed a people for himself. He redeemed a people so that they would get to enjoy his presence. And the only reason why we can be in this city is because Jesus, the Lamb, has redeemed us from our sins. He has purified us from our sins. He has made us holy. Strangers shall never pass again through Jerusalem. We were strangers. We were enemies of God. Apart from God's grace, we would not be able to even pass through Jerusalem, the new city. But in God's mercy, we are citizens of this new city. In Isaiah, I forgot to write the, the, the chapter. So if you want the chapter, maybe come later and I'll try to find it for you. But in Isaiah, it says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and singing shall flee. Sorry, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So in this new city, there will be no evil. There will be no evildoers. We already saw last week that God already judged all of these people. All of the people that opposed him, all the people that oppressed his people, God already judged them and they were they will be enduring their punishment. In this city, only those who have been sanctified and purified by the grace of God, by the blood of the Lamb, will be there. Now, another thing that we notice as, as, the, as Joel describes this city is that there is abundance in this city, right? He says, and, all, and in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. One of the interesting things is that Judah is one of the driest uh, uh, regions in Jerusalem. But it says here that it shall flow. They, the, the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. This is water that will never end. It's not like rainwater or snow water that just kind of 
you know, it goes there, but then it dries up again. This is water that will never dry up. There will be abundant produce. There will be sweet wine. There will be milk. And, and I think that this is both literally, but it's also spiritually in that it, it will be a place where there would be fruit, where there will be abundance, both material and spiritual. One of the things that encourages me about this is that oftentimes in our battle against sin, sometimes we can get discouraged that we don't see a lot of fruit. Sometimes when we are trying to fight sin and temptation, and maybe we have victory for a couple of days, and then we fall again into sin, we can be discouraged and say, Lord, why am I not growing? Why am I not changing? Why am I not seeing fruit? But in this place, there will be abundance. This place will be fruitful. We will see progress. We will grow in knowledge of the Lord. We will grow in love for the Lord. We will grow in worship of Him. Another thing, maybe thinking more um, about our about the curse, remember that one of the things that happened after Adam and Eve sinned is that God cursed the ground and said, you're going to work really hard, but there's going to be very little produce. Well, not in this city. In this city, we're, we're still going to work. Work is a great thing. It's an awesome thing. But one of the beautiful things is that we're going to work and actually there's going to be plenty of results. And the reason why this will be a land of abundance is because the Lord, God himself, is the source of this abundance. Look at the second half or maybe the middle of verse 18. And the fountain and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. So this Valley of Shittim is a place that is supposed to be really, really dry. There's like nothing there. But God in his mercy, and the image is that God in his mercy, in his plenty, will water this place. It will be fruitful. But notice how God is the source of this fruitfulness. This place has plenty. This place has plenty of produce and water because God himself is the source of the living water. Remember the words of Jesus to the Samaritan woman? You know, he basically offered her the water that once you drink from this water, you will never be thirsty again. He said, I am the living water. In Revelation 22, John speaks about a river that is flowing from the throne of God. And this is the same river. This fountain is the same thing that John is speaking about in Revelation 22. This is a fountain that comes from the house of the Lord. One of the interesting things is in Revelation 21, John says that when he looked at the city, he saw that there was no temple because the temple was God. The temple was the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And so this water is coming out of God. In the new Jerusalem, we will be drinking from God himself. 
we will be feeding on him. Augustine of Hippo is um, one of the phrases that, that is uh, very popular that he said is, our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. Well, here's my rendition or here's my adaptation. Our heart is thirsty until it is quenched by thee. We need, we need water. We need the water of life. We are dry. We, we constantly need the Lord's supply. And in this beautiful city where God dwells, we will be constantly drinking of this water. We will be constantly eating of the tree of life that is actually watered by this river. We will be drinking from God. Oftentimes, we want to satisfy ourselves with other things. Oftentimes, we want to quench our thirst with other things, with created things. but only God can satisfy our thirst. Only God can be the source of our joy. And one of the things is that this world is really good at deceiving us. This world is really good at presenting to us some really good-looking drink. To continue with the water analogy, and we think that we're going to be satisfied. We, th- we think that when we drink it, we will finally have no thirst, but one of the things that we find is that the world has nothing good to offer. Only God can satisfy us. Only God can satisfy our thirst. And so one of the things that we see is that the world and the seed of the world power will be desolate. Verse 19, Egypt shall become a desolation and Edom a desolate wilderness. For the violence done to the people of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. Egypt and Edom, at the time that Joel wrote this prophecy, are the the main powers in the land. I don't think Babylon Babylon had come around yet. So at the time, it was Egypt, Edom. Those were the the personification of evil, of, of the world powers at that time. And one of the main temptations that Israel had throughout their entire history was to go back to Egypt. Whenever things went wrong, they said, oh, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. But the water that Egypt offered didn't really satisfy. The water that the world offers doesn't really satisfy. Even though this world promises fruitfulness, even though this world promises uh, uh, to give us joy, in the end, it will be a desolation. The city of God will be a, a place with plenty of water, with fruitfulness, but the world, the power of this world will become a desolation. It will become a desolate wilderness.
one image that I really like in Hebrews is found in Hebrews 12 when uh, the author of Hebrews is talking about the kingdom of God. And it's talking about how we have been brought to Zion, to the, to the heavenly Jerusalem. And it talks about how God will shake things. You know what? I'm just, I'm going to, why don't we go there? Because I feel like I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Hebrews 12. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. So even though this Mount Zion, even though this heavenly Jerusalem, even though this new city is still, has still not descended from heaven, has still not merged with earth, even though we still look forward to it, the author of Hebrews here is saying that we already have a foretaste of it. The author of Hebrews is saying that when we gather with the people of God, when the people of God is assembled, we are having a foretaste of this heavenly Jerusalem. It says that when we come to Christ, when we gather together, we have come to Mount Zion. But then notice what it says later, verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And so, I like this analogy because basically this world, basically Egypt and Edom and, and Babylon and, and the riches of this world, everything that this world offers, the created things, are things that will be shaken and only the kingdom of God will remain. And so every time that there is Every time that we face trials, every time that there is uh, hardship in this world, it's, like, it's as if God is shaking this world. And God sometimes has to shake things so that only the kingdom of God remains. And obviously the shaking is, is difficult for us, right? Like at this point, maybe many of us are seeing like, wow, our country is really being shaken. Well, that's a good thing because it means that only the kingdom of God will remain. And that's why we put our hope and our trust in the kingdom of God, in the heavenly Jerusalem, in God himself, because everything else, once it is shaken, it does not remain. 
Verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Going back to Joel, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20, but Judah shall be inhabited forever in Jerusalem to all generations. This is the eternal state that, is, that, that we're talking about. This is something that will not end. We will always dwell in the new heavens and the new earth. We will always be with the Lord. We will always be in the presence of God. This is forever. This is an eternal promise. I think there is a lot of, there is some discussion amongst theologians and people who care about the end times. Uh, you know, what, is it going to be a 1,000 year kingdom? Is it already happening? You know, a bunch of different questions. Well, one thing we know for sure, we will be with the Lord forever. We will indwell with the Lord here on earth for eternity. We will be with him. Verse 21, I will avenge their blood. Blood I have not avenged. For the Lord dwells in Zion. One of the main themes in the book of Joel, especially chapter 3, one of the main themes in the book of Revelation, one of the main themes in 2 Thessalonians, and really one of the main themes in the entire Bible is God avenging his people. The Bible often displays God's people suffering. God's people, in the Old Testament, we see God's people being conquered by foreign nations. In the New Testament, we see God's people being persecuted by, by ungodly people. We see it all over Scripture. And one of the main encouragements that the Bible gives us, which I feel like we don't focus on it enough, is that God is our avenger. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. We can go on with boldness, proclaiming the kingdom of God. We can go on living for the Lord. We can go on seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness because even if we were to face persecution, even if we were to lose some of our rights, some of our privileges, even if we were to be physically harmed, even if we were to be imprisoned for the sake of the kingdom of God, even if we were to be killed for the kingdom of God, God will avenge our blood. God will give each person what is due. And only those that take refuge in him will live forever with him in his presence in Zion. Revelation, well, 
Yeah, in Revelation 6, 9, it says, Those who have been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's towards the beginning of the book of Revelation. Towards the end of the book of Revelation, verse 19, ver uh, chapter 19, verses 1 to 2. After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. We shouldn't be surprised by persecution. That's what Peter tells the church. We shouldn't be surprised by opposition to the gospel. In fact, I would argue we should expect it. And I would even argue we are in a weird situation right now. I feel like the, the American church is so spoiled in that we're not really experiencing a lot of persecution. I mean, I know that a lot of, you know, I know that a lot, a lot of people say, okay, yes, but the direction that this country is going and look at Canada, look at our neighbors, they got their church building locked down and all those. And I don't want to diminish any of that. But at the same time, let's think about it for a moment. We are here not wearing our masks. Not that the masks have anything to do with the kingdom of God, but here we are doing really whatever we want to do. And we're not facing any persecution. And I would argue, and, and you're welcome to disagree with me, but I would argue that we are in a weird spot. Throughout church history, the church has been persecuted. Throughout church history, and I believe until the Lord returns, the church will be persecuted. Throughout the history of the church, there will be martyrs for the word of God and for the witness that they bore. And that's why I think that most of the Bible is about God judging those who persecuted his people, God avenging his people, and God restoring all things and making all things new. I want us to finish by reading Revelation 21 and 22. And before we read these two chapters, I just want us to think about this for a moment. Just think about how God created, in the beginning, He created the heavens and the earth, He created a garden. He put Adam and Eve in this garden. I believe that the goal of this garden was that Adam and Eve, as vice regents of God, would take dominion, would uh, continue to, to, to grow, to grow in their knowledge, in their, in their technology, and in their knowledge of God, in their love for God, in everything. They were supposed to multiply. They were supposed to take dominion over the earth. They were supposed to build a city. I don't think the garden was supposed to remain a garden. But then sin entered into the world. 
and everything was completely thrown off. And so God, in his sovereign grace and in his mercy, he already had a plan to resolve the problem. He sent his son Jesus, the new Adam. And he is restoring this world. He is currently, it says in Hebrews that he is currently uh, building a city. And I don't think it literally means that, you know, he's with a, with a hammer and a drill building a city. Rather, he is in the process of building the kingdom of God. And so in Revelation, we end in a city. We end in a garden city, and we end in the place that God intended Eden to become. So let's read verses, chapter, Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. One thing that I forgot to mention and that I just remember now is that there is a real sense in which Jerusalem it's not just a, a actual physical city, but Jerusalem, in a sense, is the church, the people of God. We are that city. So notice how it is, it is described here as a bride. And notice how throughout Scripture, the church is described as the bride of Christ. Also, Jerusalem, Mount Zion, is supposed to be God's inheritance. And we, the church, are described as God's inheritance as well. And so I think that there is a sense in which this new Jerusalem is the people of God, is us. So I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, for sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, 
and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city to measure the city of its gates and walls. The city lies foursquare, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, gives, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will be the nation's walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by, the day, by day, and there will be no night there. They will be, sorry, they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yelling its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will, will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of, or lamp. Sorry, no night. They will need no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord... The, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, I'm the one 
who heard and saw these things. And, I, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. God, we praise you. You are so glorious, so perfect. Thank you that only you can satisfy. Only you give us the water of life. And you give it to us freely because your son Jesus already paid the price. Thank you that we will inherit this new city, this new creation. Thank you that we will be in your presence. And Lord, I pray that as we experience a foretaste of your kingdom, as we ourselves are this heavenly Jerusalem, we pray that you empower us by your spirit to be faithful witnesses to your glory, to your gospel, that you make us willing and ready to endure persecution for your gospel, that we would go out with boldness knowing that you will avenge us. Lord, we look forward to being in your presence, to see you face to face. Thank you that you have redeemed us with the blood of the Lamb, your Son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.